It's almost the end of the year. Days are shorter, the weather's changing, and for many of us, this is a time when we pull inward. That might mean gathering with loved ones or remembering those who are no longer physically with us. We may make altars, tell stories, share meals, hug, laugh, cry, or if need be, connect through cell phones or Zoom screens, faded photographs, or even see folks in the recesses of our memories. So with these times in mind, Calac Roots is dedicating the last two episodes of the year to the practice of reflection. For this episode, we were inspired by the season of Dia de los Muertos and other year-end celebrations that inspire time with family and reflections on ancestors and elders of past and present. So we put out a call on social media and through email asking our listeners and community members, what does honoring your elders and ancestors mean to you? And we heard from y'all. I'm Mirna Martinez Nateras. I'm calling from Fresno, California, where I've been living for about over 30 years. My name is Nakia Zavala. I'm calling in from the San Inez Chumash Reservation, located in San Inez, California. Hi, my name is Christian Collins. I'm calling from Chula Vista, California. My name is Aline Reed. I'm chairperson for Fresno Freedom School from Fresno, California. And y'all shared how you honor your elders and ancestors, including some favorite memories. So after this quick intro, we'll share those stories. I'm Caroline Collins, and this is the Calag Roots Podcast. Calag Roots is unearthing stories about important moments in the history of California farming to shed light on current issues in agriculture. This is our second to last episode of the year. And as I just mentioned, it was co-produced by listeners like you who answered our call to share your own stories. Now, when we asked folks to share, we gave them an example of what a call-in could sound like. And we're going to start off this episode with that example. It comes from Alondra Santiago, associate researcher at the California Institute for Rural Studies, who shared this quick reflection of how she honors her elders at this time of year. Hi, my name is Alondra Santiago. I'm from Pixley, California, and I like to honor my ancestors and my elders by making tamales and eating tamales every December around Christmas time. Thank you. Our first community story is a bit longer, and it comes to us from Mirna Martinez Nateres who joined our associate storyteller and researcher Lee Schmidt by Zoom to share a reflection that connects memories of food, plants, and family. Here's Mirna. I'm Mirna Martinez Nateras. I'm calling from Fresno, California, where I've been living for about over 30 years, even though I migrated from Mexico in the late 80s. My ancestors, they have guided me the values that I learned from them. I grew up in a small town in the state of Michoacán. It's called Tuxpan. And it was a town at that time when I grew up and all that there were only 3,000 people and most were families. And my mother and her sister used to live there. So I grew up by women. Women raised me. 
something that is interesting to me is that I I never got to meet my grandparents, my grandmothers. However, what I love about the memory that my mother and my aunts helped me create from, especially my grandmothers, is through the stories that they will tell. Because my grandmothers were always present to me, even though I, I didn't get to meet them. I just have photos. But I always grew up with the sensation that I knew them. And then my aunts and my mother's sisters have a big influence on me because they will help each other raise children. So I don't feel that I was raised by a mother and a father, but I was raised by a collective of women that have very strong values. And it's interesting to me because they were very much oriented to community. You know, it was not only about us as a family, but because of the kind of town that we grew up, is the community. You know, I have I would I grew up with a very strong sense of community, and I think that I learned that from my mother and her sisters. My mother died when I was 18 years old, so it was a very painful experience. However, I always felt like with my grandmother's her presence because she. She raised us in a way, like for example, she wanted us to go to school. She didn't want us to stay home and learn all the domestic things. You know, she wanted us to be more educated and being out and about. And I guess one of the ways I honor my mother is I keep intentionally my last name. In Mexico, we do that, Martinez, and then Amnateras. My mother's last name was Nateras. And many people remove their last name when they, either when they come here or when they get married. And I have been very intentional about not doing that because for me, it's a way of honoring my mother and her sister and all that large family from the Nateras, you know. Great cooks, that's my love for food you know, great cooks. And I didn't learn to cook from my mother because she really wanted us to focus on something else. But I always have the memories of the taste, the textures, all the food, delicious food that I grew up eating in that small town. So I have very strong memories of that. And it's, it's very interesting because now that I taste some food here and I say, no, this is not how it used to be, you know. I know that I know how enchilada or mole tastes, you know. I have a very strong memory of the taste that I try in my family. So that's the way I honor the women. I know that they were strong women, you know, in a home in a small town, raised in a very traditional way. But they were very hard worker women, hard worker. They will raise their kids. They will help each other, support each other. The other memory that I have is that they love plants. I remember that every time that I would go in my house, we used to have all kinds of flowers, plants. My mother used to have herbs. So we will have all kinds of herbs in the house. You know, the manzanilla, tomillo, mejorana, every single herb that you can imagine. So that's the other thing that I miss a lot because 
they didn't used to buy herbs. They would grow them, you know. I remember that she would go and water the plants at night, and I would go with her. I was little, and I'm, I've been trying to, obviously I don't remember, but I remember that we would talk a lot, and she would tell me about the plants and all that. I will recreate that even if it's fictional. You know, kids ask questions all the time. That is a very vivid memory that I have. And that's why I love food, I love plants, herbs, and all that. I was surrounded by it. So I have always had very vivid memories of the women in my family. I really honor what I learned from them, to be very independent women, hard worker, good people, you know, very caring for others, not only for the family, but for the neighbors. That's something that I really learned from them. And now what I'm doing is, because I'm about to retire, I start collecting all the recipes from my family, from my mother's side. And I'm working with a cousin because we want to do, I don't know if a book or what, but I have like a hundred and something recipes already, you know? Some is like, okay, enchilada is enchilada or whatever, right? But each family has its own way of doing things. So that's another way that I want to honor them because I learned once I grew up, got married and all that, I would call my sister in Mexico. Oh, how do you cook this? How do you cook that? Every, I don't know how many times. And one day I said, no, no, this is ridiculous. I have to write down those recipes. It was a way of staying connected, you know, with Mexico, with my family and all that. And then I have my kids that they start calling me. Oh, can you send me the recipes of this and that? And say, oh, oh. so now I really need to write those recipes. So I, this is a project that I have now. And I really want to pass that knowledge that we got from the women in my family to the next generation, my kids, my sister kids and all that. Because most people are passing, you know, the ones who have the memory, the knowledge, and I don't want to lose that. Finally, I think what has been very important for me in the way that my mother and my aunts raised me is having a very strong sense of identity. When I came here, I wasn't a child or, a, you know, I was almost close to 30 years old when I came to the United States, but I've lived in Europe for almost seven years. I went to college there. I never have any doubts about being Mexican, feeling proud about my culture, about the food, about everything. That I feel very fortunate because we work with a lot of immigrants and especially young people that have a very strong and complicated identity issue. So in that sense, I feel very blessed because I feel very rooted in my identity, you know, my history, the, where I come from. I know where I come from and that's very important to me. And those things have been very strong to me to do. And I think that the way, because I, the work that I do is a lot of community engagement and all that. And I think that it was something about the way we were raised in my family, because in my house, there was always people coming, neighbors or friends. It was a town with open doors, you know, at that time, people trust each other. So in my house, there would always be people you know, coming to bring something to my mom or ask for something. So that really gave me 
a strong sense of community, you know, respect to other people and all that. Yeah, so that's what I have. Now it's my turn to pass it into my kids. In addition to longer stories like the one Myrna just shared, we also received a few brief call-ins that celebrated special memories of elders and ancestors, like these two from Aline Reed and Christian Collins, who, in full disclosure, is my 11-year-old son. My name is Aline Reed. I'm chairperson for Fresno Freedom School from Fresno, California, and I honor my elders by always trying to look after the children in my family and in my community. One of my favorite memories of an elder in my family was of my maternal grandmother who, when she saw her grandchildren rushing by her on their way to do whatever, she would grab hold of a piece of clothing, whether it's a shirt or the end of a dress, and she'd hold on and wouldn't let go until that grandchild looked at her, spoke to her, smiled at her, and hugged her. And that's my favorite memory of my maternal grandmother. Thank you. Hi, my name is Christian Collins. I'm calling from Chula Vista, California. And one way I remember my honor, my grandpa, is I remember the memories of me and him going on like road trips. And uh, for this Halloween, I was him for Halloween. Finally, we're going to share one last story, another longer one, this time from Nakia Zavala, cultural director of the Santa Inez Band of Chumash Indians. She actually wasn't familiar with Calag Roots when she saw our call on social media, but she wanted to share this memory of a special ancestor. So she left us a message and also ended up joining us by Zoom. In her reflection, she not only pays homage to her ancestor, she also acknowledges the power of storytelling and understanding ourselves and our places, which in many ways is at the heart of what we do at Calag Roots, making Nakia's story a perfect ending for this episode. My name is Nakia Zavala. I'm calling in from the San Inez Chumash Reservation located in San Inez, California. And I have a very, very special ancestor grandmother. Her name is Maria Del Refugio Solaris. She is my fifth great grandmother and she passed away in 1923. She was one of the main informants for John Peabody Harrington, who was an ethnographer that came through our area and sat down with her and wrote thousands of pages of information on our Somala Chumash culture and language. So I've never, of course, met her, but I've met her and her words pretty much speak to us. She teaches us through the information she left behind for Um, for future generations. So she has personality through the notes, although he doesn't record much of that. He's just really talking about, you know, how to say this and how did you process acorn and, you know, but sometimes we'll get tidbits of her personality and she's really funny and she'll crack jokes or she'll, you know, tease her son through the writing. So Harrington would say, you know, Maria says this, but her son says this, and then they disagreed, but then you know, he said something back to her. So I always cherish those moments of them rec- actually recording 
them talking and having, you know, some type of personality (laughs) in the conversation. But what's really personal is her talking about family members that are with her. So her children, like I mentioned, like her kind of playing around with her son. But there's lots of recordings or mention of her granddaughter, Isabel, that hangs out with her. And, you know, and she gives these personal stories of connection to her daughters. And, and she talks about things that aren't so great to really read, but a time where, you know, things weren't always so great for Archie Nash people. But, you know, she, she shares those stories. So it's almost like we're there and we understand and we feel like you feel what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. There's stories that talk about what she was experiencing at that time. Her stories talked about the experience her father and her grandfather had through the missionization. And then, you know, before that, how the old people live, our traditional ways of living. She talks about dances, regalia, how our ancestors dress during certain dances or ceremonies. She talks about the ancient ones. We call them the mol molokaku, the ancient ones. You know, the ones that lived in the traditional way long time ago. You know, her father did and her grandfather did. But, you know, her father was probably around, I think he was like 10 or 11 when he first went into the mission. And her grandfather, I think, was probably in his like early 20s. So they lived a traditional way of life, living off the land. And then everything changes. Mm -hmm. You know, then there's this huge disruption in culture and in their traditional way of life. And so they have to now live within the mission period and change everything. But a lot of the stories she does talk about is a time where we say before we were human beings, the animals were people. So coyote could walk and talk like a human, raven could, you know, the crow could, an eagle, and they all could converse like how we are and their behavior was in such a way of human beings. So it's when the animals were still people. So they behaved in that way. So she told us beautiful stories about the swordfish men that lived deep down below the ocean in these beautiful crystal houses. She talked about how a Malcotico woodpecker, we had a great flood and that he was the only one that lived. And then there was a changing of a world after the flood happened. So she just teaches us all these things that talk about our creation, our existence, and, and how we have evolved, really. We were first in the shapes of animals and then we became human beings after. So, you know, it's our belief system. We don't call it folklore. This is what we believe. This is how it was. This is how it was told. And she tells, you know, a lot about our ceremonies and the sky beams and those their place in our in our belief system. And so everything has a story, you know, it's so great. But it, the beautiful thing again is that what she talks about, we can look around us and identify a lot of the places. We go on the journey with her. We're, we're like in the buggy with her, you know, as they're making their way to go visit family in the Tejon area. And so she talks about, you know, running to a coyote and you're trying to shush the coyote away because coyote's a trickster. We don't really want him around, you know. That's what she teaches us. You don't really want coyote around. You want to tell him to go. He needs to leave, you know. He's a trickster and you don't want to be like him. <laughs> So it's the ways of living too, you know, behavior and the way of being. So, I mean, I think that's something I just really cherish and and really honor. And then, you know, how she connects me personally to the land and helps me change the lens and how I view our traditional land base has been so remarkable. 
So the mountains that I normally would roam around, like in my teenage years, just kind of go hang out up there, go visit the snow. You know, she taught me different meanings to those peaks and how sacred they were to our people and what times of year that we went up to those sacred peaks. And so she's changed my outlook on the landscape. So I view it now with different eyes, you know, it's cool. It's like you see, you see it through her eyes because she describes it. And a lot of things she explains in the language, we can like say, oh yeah, that says around the bend. That makes sense. We're going like around the bend. <laughs> and it's like, oh wow, you know, I-, I talked about the mountains. How about the rainbow? We seen a beautiful rainbow the other day after this rain and, and it was just beautiful, you know, but she tells us all the colors of the rainbow represent the harvest. So every color, it represents plant or, you know, something of our harvest. And she tells us, you never point at the rainbow, you know. So, I mean, they have their ways of living and it's our customs, you know. So she describes a lot of the landscape in that way. But I love how she connects our language to it because it just, the description of it makes sense. She's breathed life back into a people that were colonized so severely to the point of almost cultural cleansing. But it's cool to see that there are different things that were still part of the family that carried on even after colonization that still existed on our reservation. So many years later, you know, we have like aunties and uncles that's already passed on, but they would have words or they knew songs or they were gathering medicine, you know, outside and utilizing it. So we do know that there's bits of the culture and the language that still stayed within the people and were carried on from generation to generation. So that's always really neat to see and identify that everything wasn't taken. There were still those components left. That's what we are bringing back into our belief system. And we didn't always have access to her notes. We didn't always have access, we just got access to it. We're about 15 years into learning our language and continuing to learn and break it down and really internalize it and think the way our ancestors thought. You know, so it's it's through those stories and connecting to nature and land has just been mind-blowing. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> you know, even with the different fish that used to be in the San Inez River, that, which is now dry, that it used to be a big salmon run. So there was plenty of water and resources right here in our area that we no longer have. But we wouldn't know about it if she didn't teach us. Matter of fact, I, I didn't even know about the big salmon... <laughs> We would have, you know, salmon coming up through the, ri- the Sanina's River. And then I was going through like words and I go, oh, and we came across this story about salmon and coyote. And how coyote was charming the salmon out of the river. And he was singing him a song. You know, he would sing, Napa, Napa, Yipko, Watch, Napa, Napa, Yipko, Watch, Chip, the Gutter, Watches, Sopono, Wapo. So he's singing the fish out to him. He's, he's charming him, coyote. And, you know, and they're like dancing with, you know, they're in the water kind of dancing and like going, oh yeah. And he's saying, come out, come out to me. Come on out, you know, come on out, come and say hi, you know. And they just flop, they're just popping right out of the river and they're flopping down and, and he's like, oh man, look. And so, but he overdoes it. See, Coyote's a glutton. You know, like I was saying, he's a trickster. He's everything you don't want to be. He was that type of person. And so as the story goes, he ends up calling out, a lot of salmon and he makes this deep pit with the fire and puts rocks in there nice hot rocks right so he puts the salmon in there their tails sticking out and the whole time Pushku is a bird and he's up in the tree watching and he's like going look at coyote he's such a glutton you know what's he gonna do he can't eat all of those and so 
As the story goes, Coyote takes off to the mountains and he goes everywhere because he says, oh, you know what? I'm still, I need to, like, I need to get really, really hungry. So I'm going to go walk around. I'm going to go to all these places and make this big journey. And I'll come back and they'll be nice and ready, cooked up and ready for me to eat. Well, while he was gone, the bird came down and ate all his salmon. And they put, <laughs> and they put the tails back in. So he was like, didn't know. And so Coyote shows up and he's just like, oh, I can't wait to eat. I'm so hungry. And so he goes and he picks up the tail and there's no fish. There's no body to the fish. And so he's looking around going, who would do this to me? You know, who would do this? And he looks around and right there is the bird. And he's, I think it's magpie. And um, he just kind of puts his fist up at him and says, how dare you eat all my food? And he was like, you know, you're a glutton. You always take everything. You always eat everything and take everything. So I had to teach you a lesson. <laughs> so Coyote chases him and he gets his little flint knife, knife out and he tries to cut down the tree. And then, you know, Magpie makes fun of him and says, you're not going to cut anything with that little knife. And so it's, it's just like this back and forth thing. But, you know, I would have never known. I go, salmon? We had salmon in our river? And it, was, it wasn't like sockeye salmon, you know. It was a steelhead that came through here and spawned up into and up in the rivers, but it used to be so much water, so much fish used to be here. But to find the word for salmon in our language and find that story, I was like, this is so cool. So it teaches us also about our ecosystem and what the people ate, and it's through storytelling that we knew it. It was even here. We find out about a grizzly bear that grizzly bears were here when the ancestors were here, not the black bears. That's all through stories, you know. It tells us about what they seen and interacted with that's different than what we're inter interacting with today all through stories you know it's just so amazing that's a very small amount of mm -hmm. all the things that she's left behind you know through storytelling of our people and she talks about the mission revolts and her grandfather and her father being part of the revolt and standing up for the people and and riding into you know into war really because of the mistreatment of the people she tells us so much we live through her storytelling the stories were we've gone to some of the places she's talked about for sure you know and sometimes it's really hard to go there because of the story that's attached to that but we're grateful to even have that opportunity to connect in that way Thanks for listening to the Calag Roots podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can check out other stories like this one at www.agroots.org or on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get podcasts. And by the way, if you subscribe and rate this show, it'll help other people discover it. Now some important acknowledgments. This podcast's narration was written by me, Dr. Caroline Collins, postdoctoral fellow at UC Irvine, affiliated researcher at UC San Diego, and Calag Roots producer at the California Institute for Rural Studies. Production assistance and audio engineering was provided by Lee Schmidt, associate storyteller and researcher at the California Institute for Rural Studies. This podcast was made possible with support from the 11th Hour Project at the Schmidt Family Foundation. And finally, special thanks to the folks who shared their stories. Alondra Santiago, Mirna Martinez-Nateres, Aline Reed, Christian Collins, and Nakia Zavala. 
Their contributions helped us celebrate the practice of reflection.